0: Church family, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7 is where where we will be spending our time today as we continue in our Body of Christ series. Acts 6, verses 1 through 7. Well, I learned this week that if you do a simple Google search for church growth book or church health book, literally it will pull thousands of options. I actually don't recommend that you do this. Um, But as I was thinking about that reality of the thousands of options that are pulled in books and resources, I think that revealed a a couple of things that I think would be helpful for us to think about. First, I I think it shows us the law of supply and demand. That sadly, there are so many churches in our world today that are shrinking and that are dysfunctional and that are disunified and that are dying And they are desperate to to look anywhere for their church to be revitalized and helped or totally resurrected for that matter. They're willing to look anywhere. The second thing, though, I think it shows us is there's so many differing opinions out there. There's so many different ideas out there as to how to get a healthy church. How to get a unified church, how to get a growing church, not to mention this ever-growing subjectivity to what it even means to be healthy as a church. And so in large part, as you know, that's why we're doing this series, The Body of Christ, for us to go to God's word. To have it speak directly to us, to have it speak clearly to us, to have it speak definitively to us, to have it speak authoritatively to us. And of course we know the Bible doesn't tell us all the minute details on how to put our church together, but it gives us wisdom. What it gives us is sufficient. It gives us enough, right, to know how we can be a healthy, growing church. And today, from Scripture, church family, I want to give us a church growth, church health, and a church unifying strategy. It's called the office of deacon. It's called the office of deacon. And I hope, as I say that, that that isn't, um, I want to say that with some sensitivity. I really do hope that that doesn't come as a surprise to you when I say that. But I do want to be sensitive to the fact that for many of us in the churches that we grew up in, or maybe churches that we've heard about, deacons, sadly, maybe we're not helping the health and the growth of the church. And sometimes, sadly, deacons in churches can work completely in opposition to the growth and the health of a church. But hear me say today, loud and clear, that is not the way God designed it. And from the bottom of my heart, I am so grateful. This weekend, I was thanking God over and over for the deacons that God has brought this church. I'm looking out at some of y'all's faces. I am grateful, genuinely grateful to God for the deacons that God has given First Irving. It's in so many ways, I believe they capture what the biblical picture is of a deacon. And in humility, as I've watched these deacons over many years, I have watched them in humility continue to pattern their ministry more upon the word of God. And because they've done that, church family, countless blessings have come from this body, right? Countless blessings have been brought to our church family. So on behalf of our whole church, deacons, behalf of our whole staff, thank you. Thank you. We're so grateful for you. But back to all of us here for just a moment, the question still remains, what do you think of? When you think of a deacon, has your opinion of that office been tarnished by a past experience or hurt? Or maybe your past experience with deacons um, wasn't negative, but at the same time, it it just was kind of uneventful or underwhelming. And you haven't yet seen the great and the beauty, the greatness, the beauty and the power of the office of deacon that God intends for his church. And so today, church family, that's my hope, that's my desire as I prayed a moment ago that we would renew our minds in God's word for what he has for his church in this beautiful office and how the whole congregation in a church, the whole congregation will be in view in our text, how the whole congregation takes part in the ministry of deacons for the health of the body and for the glory of Jesus Christ. So as I said, we're going to be in Acts 6, verses 1 through 7. There's really only three passages in the Bible that speak to deacons. This one, and then explicitly in Philippians 1, verse 1, and then 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through 13. And in fact, Philippians 1 and 1 Timothy 3 is how we know this is an established office for the church. But the Bible has a narrow understanding of the office of deacons. One of only two offices that he intends for his church. And Acts 6, I believe, is such a great example of showing us the power and the beauty and the purpose of the office of deacon. But just just a warning, we're not going to be able to unpack, um, as is typical on a Sunday morning. We can't unpack everything that the passage shows us. But I do believe there's a blessing for us here, not just in Acts 6, but for deacons in the church and what Acts 6 is telling us. So let's look to God's word, church family, and read. Um, This should be on the screens. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the 12 summoned the full number, full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Verse 7 says, and the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of God, church family. I'm going to give us the main idea here at the beginning for you to, I think it should be on the screens for you to write down. So just know this is where we're going today. And then we'll work through um, this outline. So here's the main idea. I want to give it to us now. That I believe Luke wants us to see in this passage in the early church. Deacons are an indispensable gift to the church. Who function as set apart model servants within the body for the purposes of meeting practical needs unifying the church and advancing the ministry of the word four headings there's four headings on on my outline today okay and they all start with c and from the four headings i what i try, what i want to try to do is is to reinforce this main idea to show you that luke is showing us this this main idea from these verses, okay? The four headings all start with C. I want us to see a context. There's a context that's important. I want us to see the complaint. The problem. I want us to see a calling. The calling that's in this text. And then I want us to see the continuation of something amazing. Okay? Context, complaint, calling, And a continuation. So First Church family, let's look and just set our minds in the context. And I'm going to have us go ahead and flip just a couple pages to the left to Acts chapter 2. You can just be there for a second. Because I want us to run to a couple places in Acts in just a moment. And as you turn there, it would be unfaithful. We have said it already in the service for me not to point out that the, the noun diakonos is a general word in the New Testament for servant. The broader biblical f- idea of a deacon is that every Christian is a deacon. If you're here and you're following Jesus, you're a deacon in the broad sense. You're a servant following the lead servant. So we heard last week, we are all in this body to serve one another. That's what we heard in our call to worship, and also in Matthew place like Matthew 23, the greatest among you will be your deacon, the Greek says. The greatest among you will be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So we need to see this reality. We can't miss this before we come to our passage today and look at a more narrow understanding of the word deacon. So the Bible does teach that, but the, of, of the majority of the 29 times or so that the New Testament uses this word, it has this broad concept in mind. We, all, we will speak to the narrow concept today. And I promise we all will, will have a part in that as well. But what about the context of the book of Acts? There's a context in the book of Acts that we need to see before we come to this, this chapter six. We need to see some things that have happened before chapter six to understand the full significance of what's going on here. So if you turn to... Um, Acts 2, that's great, but I'm going to give you the pattern that I want us to see, and I hope to show it to you in the Word of God. This pattern that has happened over and over in Acts, and it's this. The ministry of the Word flourishing and unity, growth, health in the body. I promise you, I'll show you how this applies to deacons later, I promise. The ministry of the Word flourishing. And unity, growth, and health in the body. So real quick, Acts 2, 14 through 41. Pentecost has happened. Peter receives the Holy Spirit and he preaches his first sermon. Long exposition. Preaching the word of God. Teaching the people. And it says in 2.41, those who, what, received the word were baptized and there were added that day. 3,000 soul. Flourishing of the word of God. The teaching of the word of God. The church of God Growing. See it? Then notice right after that in 242 that the early church in Acts was devoted to the apostles' teaching. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. That's important. Unity. See the unity here? They're selling their possessions, distributing proceeds to all as any had need. And what? The Lord is adding to their number day by day, those who are being saved. Ministry of the word, the flourishing of the church, the unity of the church. But to this beautiful picture, all of a sudden, there's a conflict that arises in Acts. The first threat to the church arises in chapter four. The first persecution arises in chapter four. A threat comes against, hear this, the ministry of the word. Okay, okay. How do I see this? Where do we see this? Look at what the religious leaders say. Remember, they've taken Peter and John into custody. And they don't know what to do with them. They don't know what to do with them. So it says the religious leaders gather together themselves. And in 417, look there, 417 in your Bibles. They say, in order that it may spread no further among the people. What is that it? We'll keep reading. Let us warn them not to speak any more to anyone in this name. So they call Peter and John back to them. And what do they do? They warn them, the text says, do not speak or teach in this name of Jesus. And the text says they further threatened them and they let them go. And you're left going, is this going to end the church overnight? Is the church going to just get snuffed out overnight with this persecution? As you keep reading, you of course know, no, that doesn't happen. What happens? They go back to their friends in 423 and they report to them all that's happened. And what does the church do? Y'all know this story. They get on their knees and they pray. Okay. But something important I want to point out to you. What do they pray for? What does the church pray for in 429? And now, Lord... Look upon their threats. Grant to your servants, what? That we would continue to speak your word with all boldness. So notice that the early church doesn't fundamentally see the threat that's come against the church as just, this is a threat to my personality or, 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 or a personal threat. And they don't pray something like, Lord, help us forgive them for hurting our friends and saying really mean th- things to them and for bitterness in our hearts not to grow. They maybe felt those things, but notice they fundamentally see the threat against them as a threat to the ministry of the word. You see that? These threats could snuff out the ministry of the word. The church knows it and they get on their knees and they pray for boldness. And what does the text say in 431? They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And then 433, this is an important verse, 433 says, with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. That's an amazing verse. Isn't everybody want a church like that? I want a church like that. What a dream world, right? So again, the pattern in our context, I want us to see the ministry of the word unhindered, flourishing and unity, growth, health that's in the body. So threats are coming against the word though. Threats, threats of persecution in chapter four. In chapter five, it won't be persecution. It will be internal moral corruption that threatens the church that time in chapter five. The the Ananias and Sapphira incident, right? But we see even in that case, in 514, what does it say? The church continued flourishing. The church continued growing. So I want us to see that in the first, in the face of the first challenge to the church health in the early church, it was, was persecution. And they were rescued out of that by getting on their knees to pray for boldness. The Lord heard their prayer. The second threat in chapter 5, it seems the Lord intervened himself working through the apostle Peter, and he took care of the second threat. You know that story, Ananias and Sapphira. But now we get to chapter six and we see another threat looming against the church. We're in chapter six. Now, what is this threat? Let's let's look at this. Notice in first, before chapter six, verse one, the verse before that, notice the pattern. It's here again. 5.42 says, every day, look at this summary statement from Luke. Every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Do you see this? This is just unhindered. They have this ministry that is powerful. Chapter 6, verse 1. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, verse 1b, a complaint by the Hellenist arose against the Hebrews Because because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now I want to show us why this complaint is a real threat to the church. I think on the surface it looks like this is just a food issue. What's the big deal? Like really, this isn't that big of a deal. I think on the surface it's easy to miss how significant this threat is. Food is just the tangible need that's hanging out on the surface. But there's something deeper that's at stake that the text reveals. And it's the church's unity. It's the church's unity. And why do I say this? Because the language in 1B that says, A complaint by the Hellenist arose against the Hebrews. This is internal division that started up. Internal conflict. Who are the Hellenist? Who are the Hellenist? What's going on in this context? Well, the Hellenist... They're Greek-speaking Jews, okay? They'd most likely, they'd migrated in from Jerusalem, from other parts of the Roman Empire, and they were fluent in Greek, but not just that. They were fluent in Greek culture, fluent in Greek customs. Does this sound familiar, church family? That a church body could have a growing population in it that speaks a different language? that has a different culture? That just sounds familiar, doesn't it? Does that ever lead to any conflicts in a church? You bet it does sometimes. You bet it does sometimes. But look, look, look further with me. The Hebrews, they would have been tempted to think of themselves as more authentically Jewish, okay? They speak Aramaic, okay? That's the language of Jesus. You know, we're, we're not outsiders, they could have been tempted to think, like, like these other Greek-speaking people that have come from, you know, Greek-speaking cultures. So are you starting to see what's at stake here? Okay, and let me push it further. It's not just these kind of cultural differences that have begun to rise up. The threat is to mishandling widows. We need to see that that the, the care of widows, church family, is a huge deal in the Bible. I think we lose some of that today, but in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, God is clear and zealous to see that orphans and widows, as a, as a point of justice, are taken care of. This is a big deal, and we know that widows, even today, they have more needs than others, they're more vulnerable than others. But widows at this time, at this time and place in history, they were way needier than widows today. This is more of like a life and death situation for widows if they're not getting cared for. There's no pension funds, there's no Medicaid, Medicare, there's no Social Security. The the only way that a widow would survive in this time is receiving care from her immediate family or from the church being faithful to meet their needs. And so this is not just a kind of, oh, this dropped a little bit, I dropped a little ball. I dropped the ball just a little bit. This is the kind of thing that would have tempted people to get in each other's faces about. You You see the conflict here? This is a big deal to God, but it's also a serious issue in this day if you're not caring well for widows. This was a big threat to the church unity, the language suggests, and the, and the culture in this time suggests. This is unity, by the way, that Christ prayed for in John 17. This is unity that Christ died for, ultimately. But not only is the church's unity at stake in this complaint, in this threat, what else is at stake? What have we seen? And what are we going to see Again. The ministry of the word is at stake. Don't miss this. The ministry of the word is again being threatened. How do I know this? Because what the apostles say in verse two, look there with me. They gather the whole number of the apostles, the whole number of the church, and they say, it is not right that we should give up or literally leave behind preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, before you think, man, that's prideful. Man, that's, that's insensitive. I mean, really? Really, apostles? I mean, are you saying that, that serving tables is beneath you? Are you saying you're somehow above that? Before, before you think that's what's going on here, I want you to notice verse 5. What does verse 5 say? What they said... Pleased the whole gathering. So evidently, what the apostles said to them did not make them respond like angry. It pleased them. Okay? It pleased them. How can the apostles say this in holiness, not in lazy pride? How can they say that? That it's not right that we should give up preaching of the word of God to deacon tables, serve tables. I want us to see this, what I think Luke wants us to see, what I think the context of Acts shows us, because the apostles know, and I would argue from verse 5, the whole church knows that when the ministry of the word flourishes in a local congregation, the whole church flourishes. The whole church flourishes. The apostles are not belittling the ministry to widows. In fact, I'm gonna argue that they're privileging it. They don't brush it aside. They gather the whole church, which could have been like 8,000 people, to put in place a permanent structural solution. So they're privileging this threat. This is what they do. They put in what's, what is that permanent structural solution? Deacons. Deacons. I would argue, as I've thought about this this past week, the whole church knew, the apostles knew, that if the ministry of the word didn't continue to be prioritized in the church, if the ministry of the word didn't continue to be prioritized in the church, even when good things like this were were distracting them from it, it would be like the life-giving faucet. That brings church growth and church health slowly getting turned clockwise. If you've ever turned a faucet off, you know, and you flip it all the way. It's gushing water. Right? And then if you just slowly twist it to the right, what happens? The, the flow of water becomes constricted. It, it ratchets down. It becomes constrained. John Stott has said before about noticing this pattern in Acts, That it's like in the first threats to the church, Satan's idea was, I'm going to shut the church down wholesale. I'm going to shut it down overnight. And it didn't work. This, John Stott suggests, is a craftier temptation for the church. It it would be the slow constricting of the word of God, the slow deprioritization of the word of God. The slow decentralization of the word of God. And church family, I think it is far too common. I know many churches for so many good reasons, good things that rise up, that they need to devote time to. And it's just like slowly through 10 years, 15 years, the church just shrivels. Slowly over time dies. Because... The interest and, and things become distracted. The apostles and the church see this threat again happening. And it's why the apostles can say in holiness, it's not right. It's not right that we should put the ministry of the word away to, to, to serve these tables. It's interesting. Go on. If you look with me in the text, what, they will to, what the apostles will do in verse four, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the deaconing of the word, the serving of the word. So they're involved in serving in all kinds of ways. But for us to notice here, the prioritization is given back to the word of God and it pleases the whole assembly. They put in place a permanent and structural solution. What is the solution? We're going to see in verse two, they're going to select faithful men who will deacon the need. The noun form of deacon isn't in this text, but the verbal form to deacon is. It's all over this text. They're going to put faithful men in place who will deacon this need in verse two. This is about the calling. This is the third thing I want us to see. The calling. In the selection of these seven men in our passage, we want to notice a pattern in their actual selection that I think is instructive for us as we think about our own governance as a church. I think we should notice the pattern that the early church follows. The pattern of the apostles, they lead out in initiating the process of selection. They gather the whole church and they put forward the qualifications. That's verses 2 through 4. Then the Spirit-filled congregation is tasked with selecting seven faithful men. Verses 3 and 5, make that clear. And then the apostles then lay hands on them and appoint them to their service in verse 6. I think this is a great example of congregational governance in the first church. I praise God for our own church governance, of congregational governance. I'm really grateful for that. I think it's biblical. and I think it's being taught here. I want to say really quickly, Pastor Blair will talk about this more next week. The office of apostle will end in the first century Later, there will come a correlating office in the book of Acts. A correlating office, the office of elder who will carry on some of the functions of the office of apostle, though not at all the same office. There's lots of differences between the office of apostle and the office of elder, but there's a correlation between some of the functions of the apostles and and elders in churches. The elders will serve the church through leadership in the body. Again, Blair will talk about that next week in this series. So, There's a practical need. There's a tangible need that arises to the point where the early church has to give their attention to it. And this pattern is helpful for us today, for us not to just turn away from quickly. What's the pattern? They set apart faithful men to deacon the needs. These men would serve this practical need. But notice that the text doesn't say Select anybody who can help. As we're considering the calling of these deacons, we need to consider this. It doesn't say select anybody who's available. It doesn't say that. They don't say select anybody who's always around. They don't say that. They don't say select anybody who's been here the longest. They don't say that. What do they say? They say select men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit, and full of wisdom. These were faithful men. These were qualified men. If you remember in the parable of the faithful servant when we were going through Matthew, to be faithful is to bear fruit. These men had to have a good standing in the church. Men of good repute, uh, the ESV says, um, NASB says, of good reputation. The Greek words here speak to the witness of someone's life. The testimony of someone's life. That, it, that their life testifies to something. What does their life need to testify to? I think it needs to testify to the power of God because of what it says next. They need to be full of the Holy Spirit. Full of wisdom. Deacons' lives should give testimony to the power of God. To the wisdom of God. It is possible, church family, to be incredibly likable and incredibly helpful and to not be godly. It is possible that that happens. But if the church here was going to be hel- healthy and was going to continue in unity, continue in growth, these seven men had to be qualified with exemplary spiritual character. So I, current deacons, I think I would be unfaithful at this point to not ask you this question. Are you, current deacons, are you known in this body for this kind of spiritual character? And the reason I ask that is because I think it's really important. Pastor Blair has certainly modeled this since coming here for anybody especially those in a church office, they should regularly return to the biblical qualifications and examine their lives to see if they're meeting these qualifications and growing in these qualifications. No Christian, we know this, especially those who are in a biblical office, ever arrives, right? We're all growing in grace until we see the face of Jesus Christ, right? First Timothy 3 Verses 8 through 13 provide the whole list of qualifications. And what I want to do quickly is just read 1 Timothy 3 over us. I'm not going to explain this text, but I do want to read 1 Timothy 3, verse 8 through 13. Read with me. You're welcome to turn there. Let's put this in our minds, church family. This is what a deacon has to be. Deacons likewise must be dignified... Managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So, like I said, we have no time to go through and explain these, but I want those to land on us and be reminded of those qualifications today, and then point out three things quickly. These aren't going to be on the screen, so I'm just going to fly. I'll just point out three things about these qualifications. Number one, the continuation that Paul here is relentlessly concerned about character over competence. He's relentlessly concerned about character in the office of deacon over competence. That's number one. Second thing, notice, these qualifications uniquely include the conduct of a deacon's wife. In verse 11. Now there's difficulty and understanding the translation in verse eleven, some of you may remember. And we're here when Pastor Jared preached in verse Timothy. You remember he pointed out that the word "there" in our ESV "there" wives, that's not in the Greek text. It's supplied because of context. Okay, so there are some who would understand it, the word "there" to just mean women, and those who hold this position would say that the office of deacon is open to faithful women as well that Paul gives some qualifications for women and then continues in the qualifications. And I just want to point that out. This is a difficult verse to translate. And faithful brothers and sisters who serve in like-hearted churches would would hold that. That's not the historic and current position of our own church. Um, the, The position of our own church is to follow the pattern in Acts 6, the church selected seven faithful men, and also the context of 1 Timothy 3, verse 12, that the deacon's wives are in view. So that's why it's faithful to see that he's talking about the wives of deacons in verse 11. Do you see that? So it's a faithful, our our church's position is a faithful position, and that's what I'm taking today and explaining and and just pointing out. When we consider the office, who should serve in the office of deacon, we need to, because the language is unique here, not given to elders in the same way, We need to consider the the wife of the, the future deacon. Third, really quick, look at the promise in verse 13. The promise given to deacons. Those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Jesus. I think Paul says that with the words of Jesus in mind that we heard in our call to worship. The greatest among you shall be what? Your servants. Jesus isn't talking about an office of deacon there. But the principle that those who serve well as deacons, as model servants in the church, Jesus says, you want to know what greatness is? Give your life in service to others. I think that's what Paul's emphasizing here in this promise. You serve well as a deacon. You want to see greatness, church family? Look at a faithful deacon. Often their work is behind the scenes, but it is indispensable. Current deacons, I pray you would be encouraged. Your service is a wonderful example to the whole body who watches your example. It honors our Lord greatly. Thank you. Future deacons, I'm confident there's future deacons in this room. I pray that 313 would be enticing to you. That promise would be enticing to you in a holy way. That it would be good for more men in our church to aspire to the office of deacon. I think a lot of men in the church of America, they just want to serve up to, up to this point. I, I just want to serve a little bit. I, 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 tell me, just tell me how much I have to serve. You know, that's the kind of attitude I find in lots of guys in the American church. But often that kind of restrained service to the bride of Christ will not bring great blessing to you. And the promise given here is for those who lay their lives down in service to the bride of Christ. They will gain a good standing for themselves. So future deacons who have thought about this office, Maybe you've been asked before to serve in this office. I want to say we need you. Maybe not right now, but we will need you. The health of our church depends on you. The last thing I want us to see is the continuation. The context, the the complaint, the calling of these deacons. And all I'm going to point out quickly is the continuation of verse 7. Look at verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I want you to see that Luke structures verses one through six to show you that verse seven is a complete surprise. You do not expect the outcome of verse seven. And I would go as far as to say that Luke is showing us that verse seven will not happen in a church unless a a church gets busy with the faithful work of verses one through six. What is that work? Seeing tangible practical needs, setting apart faithful men who will serve those needs, unify the church, advance the ministry of the word. The outcome of chapter of, of verse seven The outcome of verse 7 is not an expected outcome, church family. It only came because of verses 1 through 6. The calling of deacons. The threat that the church came up against to be derailed and disunified was swallowed up by these deacon forerunners. This threat is like a speed bump. Churches go over speed bumps, shocks to the system, complaints that arise and things that that, that rise up in a church. And deacons absorb that for the church to bring unity to it. It's like like, um, disunity is an infection to a body. And deacons are like white blood cells that swarm it and restore unity back to the church so that the church And all of its functions can function in health and unity and growth. The main idea, to remind us again, deacons are indispensable to the church. They're an indispensable gift to the church who function as set apart, model servants within the body for the purpose of meeting practical needs, unifying the church, and advancing the ministry of the word. If we are going to be, church family, a healthy unified and growing church. It will be because we have faithful deacons at their post, amen? Don't ever set aside the office of deacon. They're indispensable. Deacons, we need you. Quickly, I wanna apply this to us. First, I wanna talk about applications to current deacons. To current deacons in this room, I just want you to hear me say, don't give up in the work. We need you. Our church cannot be healthy without you. If we have deacons mobilized to serve the congregation, our church will thrive. Second, to deacons, I want to exhort you to live an exemplary life of service in front of our church family. As so we prayed for today in our prayer point, the church is watching your example so that we can become more like Christ in that. Laying our lives down in service to the body. Live exemplary lives of service in front of the, the body, church, uh, deacons. We need your example. Here's one that will embarrass Pastor, Pastor Blair, but I think this is a godly question that deacons need to ask. Pastor Blair regularly ask Pastor Blair this question, deacons. Are there any tangible needs currently in the body that are unmet that could hinder the ministry of the word and the ministry of prayer in our church family? If so, how can we help meet those needs? That's a biblical and godly question that deacons regularly should bring before Blair. For the church to function in health the way God intended it to. Have your eyes open, deacons, to disunity forming in the church. Like I said a moment ago, it's like an infection in the body. Deacons, be the very first ones. And that, that phrase, I'm going to be all over you, like white on rice, or whatever that expression is, or, or, or white blood cells to an infection, or however, whatever analogy you want to use. Deacons should be the first ones that swarm When any kind of disunity begins to to prop up or come up in the body, be the first ones to address it to restore unity. Should be the most eager ones. And finally, deacons, have you noticed a tangible need in the body? Have you noticed a tangible need in the body? It's already been brought to your attention. How can you mobilize a team of deacons or a team of church members in order to help you meet the need that's been brought to your attention? Now to the congregation, to all of us. This one won't be on the screens, but the Lord brought it to my mind last night. I'm going, goodness, why did I not write this down? First, congregation, pray for your deacons. If you see a deacon walking in the hallway, get to know them, thank them. Find ways to encourage the deacons who serve in this church and pray for them. When you see them, say, I've been praying for you. He ministry to flourish in this church. That's the first thing. Second thing, I think it's the first thing that's on our screens, though. Take seriously, church family, because this is, I think, straight out of this text. Your role in the selection of deacons, select them biblically. I'm speaking long term for this church family. Be careful who you put in the office of deacon. Pay close attention to the biblical qualifications. Do not ever, church family, put somebody in the office of deacon who is not qualified. They will only bring dishealth, disunity in a church. Take that responsibility seriously. Next, resolve in your hearts, church family, to attend our family meetings, our member meetings, where important areas of business and church life are voted upon. Come and get in the room those nights and make sure our church moves in directions. Acts 6, many commentators say, is the church's first member meeting. Whole church gathers together. Have a problem, put a solution to it. Make resolve in your heart to attend those. Then ass, take seriously your role in assisting the ministry of the deacons. There will be times, church family, where a team of deacons comes and say, Hey, we need four people to help with something. I'm mobilizing. Deacons will be ministry mobilizers. I need four people who can help with something. The deacons are helping do this this weekend. I wanna call you and challenge you to be ready to answer that call, to be a servant in that that way. Take seriously your role in assisting the ministry of the deacons, okay? And then church members regularly ask, I'm gonna embarrass John Lovett, regularly ask John Lovett this question. John Lovett serves as our chairman of deacons, faithful brother who I'm grateful to God for. Ask John Lovett this question, church family, What needs are going on in the body that I can help with? How can I help the deacon serve the body? Oh my goodness. That question is like a waterfall of grace to any deacon. Not just to John Lovett, any deacon. What needs are going on that I could help with? Regularly ask John and any deacon that question. And then to future deacons, here quickly and then I'll pray. Future deacons. I believe there's future deacons in this room I've been praying for you in this sermon, in this weekend. First thing I want to say to you is, why would you not want to serve in this way? Why would you not want to serve in this way? Promise, 1 Timothy 3, to serve as a deacon is glorious. Why? Because it makes the bride of Christ more beautiful and as we've said already and tried to point to, it makes Christ himself more visible to our church family. We never want to lose sight, church family, of our Lord Jesus. We want to keep our eyes on him in any way we can. We want to look more like him. And what a grace that the Lord gave the office of deacon to the church family to be model, set apart servants, in front of the church body of this is what it looks like to be a servant like Christ. This is what it looks like to not come to be served, but to serve and to give a life for others. Future deacons, it's glorious. If you have thought about serving as deacon, I want you to think about it again. And lastly, to future deacons, if you have ever been asked by the deacon body or you've just been, approached by somebody who has said, have you ever thought about being a deacon? Don't blow that off too quickly. Don't blow that off too quickly. Often the Lord works through his people to encourage us and to lead us to something that we maybe don't think at first we would be fit for, but the church body comes along and encourages us into it. Church family, I pray that As we've prayed today in our our prayer point, as we've sung about today, I I do pray, as I just said, our church would look more like Jesus because of the ministry of deacons. That's what we hope the ministry of deacons does. I wanna pray for us, and then I'll give us a few things about how to respond. Father, I pray that you would let us be a healthy and vibrant, growing and unified church. We all long for that. We all long for that in our church. And I ask you, Lord, to please bring that to us. Use the ministry of deacons. Lord, let us a church never let us set the office of deacon aside or belittle it. Help us see how indispensable it is and Lord, help us follow their example in serving one another, the whole body growing up in love in good deeds. Oh Lord, let great grace, as Acts said, let great grace come upon this body because of its members functioning in unity and deacons serving with all the beauty and power that you intended for that office. And Lord, let us make much of your son, Jesus, now as we sing and in years to come. In Jesus' name, amen.